This afternoon, again, we have the privilege of welcoming behind this sacred desk uh, Pastor Adrian Doss. Adrian is the pastor at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Godfrey, and he, uh, he is a good friend of Providence Presbyterian Church. Brother. Good afternoon. I bring you greetings from the brothers and sisters in Christ at Westminster Presbyterian in, in Godfrey, Illinois. Uh, thankful to be alongside of you in the vineyards of the Lord, working and serving, and the challenges that face us as a church of Jesus Christ in these dark times. So this, uh, this afternoon, I want to invite you to an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. An encounter which is as much for us as, if, as it is for the message of the gospel that comes forth from us. It is that which transforms us first and enables us to live out and preach the good news of the gospel to those who desperately need it in the day and the age in which we live. And so if you would, read along with me in Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, uh, verses 40 through 45. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and the news, uh, uh, to, uh, to, the new, uh, to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and the people were coming to him from every quarter. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that we would find two things in this passage. That we would find ourselves, we would find the reality of our world represented in this leper. But more than that, we would see you. And we would see the transforming grace and power of the Lord Jesus Christ to minister to us and to minister through us. Father, we live in a time that is changing so quickly and dramatically the results of which we will see in years to come in ways that we could never imagine with desperation in the hearts of many like that of this man. And yet you send us forth to proclaim Jesus 
to be Christ-like, to share the good news. So change us so that through us we may present the good news of the gospel to those who are desperately in need of it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but there are times in Scripture that I have gone to, uh, uh, to find good friends, meaning those people that I connect with, and that in their encounter with, with God, whether it be through the Old Testament or with Jesus through the New Testament, I see the transforming power of Jesus. And this is one of those passages. I love this passage for two reasons. The first reason is because it so wonderfully describes the reality of our persons and our depravity and the depravity of the world in which we live and the need for the Lord Jesus Christ. And secondly, because we see and I hope come away with awe and wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ in a greater fullness than we have ever maybe experienced. I think sometimes when we think about Jesus, we think about the gospel in a, in a way that is maybe monochromatic. And what I mean by that is, is uh, Jesus died for my sins. Absolutely. Can I hear an amen? Absolutely. That is a central core of the gospel. Yet many come to Jesus having their sins forgiven and yet living in a hell in their heart for desperate need for healing. So hindered by the realities of their life, their past, the pain, the sorrow, the anguish that they have gone through, that they are almost as crippled and as desperate as this man here. And yet we often don't go there. We don't think about healing. We don't think about the transformation of souls so caught up in places so dark. Why? Well, this text in the Gospels shows us the Lord Jesus Christ in some glorious ways. And why do we need that? Like I said, we live in a time and a place in history that is so moving so quickly and so transformatively that we won't know the results of that for years to come. Let me give you an example of that. Elders, somebody is going to come to your church, a couple, Jack and Jill, married. And in their time of confession or sharing their testimony, they share of the good news of Christ and how that's transformed them. Within that reality, Jill says, I used to be James. And I had a sex change operation a long time ago. What do you do? How do you minister? Is there hope? Now that's not just five years away. That could be in years to come. Just simple years to come. 
the profound changes that are happening in our culture are going to have socioeconomic, psychological uh, uh, depravity in such a way that we need to understand how the gospel can meet, transform, and change lives through repentance, the forgiveness of sins, and cleansing. Are you and I prepared for a world yet to come that we can't necessarily imagine? But before that day comes, we need to encounter Jesus ourselves. And as we think about this, we recognize and realize that many are the people in our churches who have shriveled hearts, though they believe, they know that Christ forgave them of their sins, yet they are so depleted in the realities of their past. I share this with permission. I've been uh, counseling with uh, a lady in our church and she's been at our church for a long time, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, wonderful, wonderful, godly woman who all of a sudden in the midst of life is encountering a profound and bitter anger and bitterness in her soul. So she came and, Pastor, I need to walk through some things with you. And so we began to walk through and she, she has a family and she's divorced and she's been divorced for many, 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 many years, way before I ever knew her. And this is how I came to know her. She was dating somebody who came to our church and he came to introduce her to me. And we were talking uh, in the foyer of our old church. It was in the middle of the week. And I said to her, I said, I hope that we'll see you someday at church. And she thought it was underneath her breast, but she said, breath, she said, I wouldn't hold my breath if I were you. And that was how damaged she was. And as we unraveled her story, forgiven of her sins, cleansed by the blood of Christ, it came out that she had come to faith in Christ in high school through uh, a church ministry that she had gone to uh, with a couple kids. And then she went to a Christian high school and grew there and had a heart for missions. And she, so she decided to go to a small but fundamentalist college. And there she met a young man who came from the same background she did. They got to know each other. They got to dating she, he came down to meet her parents six months into their relationship and on the way back, stopped the car and raped her. And this was her words for, for him. You now belong to me. No one will want you anymore. You're mine. You have to marry me now. And in the system that she grew up in in that church, her shame was so profound And that she didn't quite know what to do but get married. She had the scarlet letter now. She couldn't go back. That led to a relationship, four children, but constant abuse. And in that constant abuse was affairs and, uh, uh, and demeaning and more affairs and an addiction to pornography. And so she went to her church Bible-believing, fundamentalist church. And she came to her elders and to her pastor for counsel. 
shared with her about her husband's addiction to pornography and his affairs. What was the answer? If you would have just been a better submissive wife, he wouldn't have had to go elsewhere. End of story. That was it. Come to find out that the counsel she got from her pastor, her pastor was having an affair. And then the pastor later on was having an affair. And the issues went on and she walked away from church wondering if there was a place for her in life. And all of a sudden she came and even just in these past couple months we've been exploring what it means to be healed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just forgiven, she was, she knew that. But she struggled and she wrestled. And she felt much like this person. See, in this encounter, we see this leper. And he comes audaciously to Jesus. He was a leper and leprosy was seen as something so profoundly uh, uh, catchy that to be in a presence, person's presence or to have even the leper's shadow fall on a cup was to make it unclean. And he comes and he falls at Jesus' feet with a profound desperation. I've been kicked out of the temple. My mother hasn't touched me since I've been a leper. I live in the outside of the cities. I have to walk down the street and yell, unclean! And the roads part, not because I'm nobility, but because I'm so wretched and unclean and sinful and unworthy. And here I hear about this rabbi. and He's my last chance. And he throws himself at the feet of Jesus in a desperation. Have you ever been in that place of desperation, be it for the conviction of sin that comes and the need for forgiveness, or be it for healing from your past, or even right now, maybe you're desperate. And you have nowhere else to go. Our world is a desperate place, and people are looking for love in all the wrong places. And in the midst of confusion of life, where is the world going to go? And this man comes and he falls at the feet of Jesus. But what keeps you and I from coming to the Lord Jesus Christ for healing? Wherever you might be, the answer comes in the leper's statement. Look at this statement, if you will. It's a statement, not a question. Lord, if you will... You can make me clean. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And I want you to notice that this is not a question but a statement. And in this statement comes a question from the leper's heart. He has absolutely no doubt that Jesus has the ability to heal him. What was the question at the center of his heart? Is Jesus, are you willing to heal me? 
It was a question of willingness that came from a heart that had been so broken, not simply by the disease of his flesh, but by the realities of the world in which he lived. He was unworthy. And the question on his heart is not ability. But the question is, are you willing? And for some of you who don't know Jesus, well, you may doubt his ability. You're not quite sure of his ability or his power to heal or his power to forgive. You might mask your doubt in any number of different ways. You might say, we live in a day of science and I don't believe in healing. And maybe you don't. That was for bygone days and bygone eras. You might say, or uh, he could do it when he was here on earth, but not now. You might be sitting here as a Christian thinking that, which limits the efficacy of the cross, doesn't it? It's effectiveness in the realm of, uh, you make its effectiveness only the realm of forgiving sin, not the healing of a soul. It's not the healing of sickness by his stripes we are healed. And many of us, if we're honest, we are much more like this leper than we would think. We have an orthodox belief about the power and the authority of Jesus to heal. After all, we, uh, after all to believe otherwise would be heretical. Well, if we do, why don't we come to him? And maybe the reason you don't come to know the fullness of the gospel truth in your life to be healed is you know his ability, but you're not quite sure of his willingness. See, up to this point in Mark's gospel, Mark has, Mark's very quick. So if you read through Mark's gospel, chapter one, everything is immediately, 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 immediately. And what we see in Mark's gospel is this collection, if you will, of authority kind of statements. He is the authority over the devil and temptation. He is the authority to heal. He is the authority over the evil spirits. He has the authority in power in his preaching and teaching. There is authority all over the places. It's almost like a connect the dots. Once you connect the dots, you get a glimpse of Jesus, but here it is, you get the heart of Jesus. Are you willing? And that, I'm going to suggest, is going to be one of the biggest hindrances of people coming to the gospel. And where does that come from? Sometimes it comes from within the church. We actually tell them, you're not worthy. How do we do that? The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians says that we have this treasure, the gospel, in jars of clay so that the all-surpassing power of God can be seen at work in us. But far too often Christians are so busy polishing their jars of clay so that when the sinner walks into the sanctuary, all he sees is his reflection back at him like looking at a chrome bumper. And all it says to him is, you're not like us. 
You're not worthy. As if we were. But the gospel meets us in that place of unworthiness and uncleanliness. But what we need is an encounter with Jesus that helps us to see him in all of his fullness. And that's the second reason I love this passage. It's because we see Jesus so fully and gloriously represented. In this passage, we not only see his power and ability, but we see his heart. It's important that we see the sequence of events here because if, if we miss it, we'll miss the main point of this passage. Look with me at verse 41. As the man says, if you will, you can make me clean. Here's the response. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him. Just pause there for a second. What did he touch? This wasn't a congr congratulatory slap on the back after the healing. So glad that you were healed. I hope that things go well with you. No. He is touching a leprous shoulder or head or hand. He is touching the very reality of this man's predicament with his hand. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask this man, I don't know if you can ask questions, but in our mind's eye, we can't, right? How long did it take you to realize that you were physically healed because you were so astounded that Jesus touched you? Now let me ask you a question. Why did Jesus have to touch him? We know from all the gospel accounts that Jesus didn't need to touch people to heal. He could heal from afar. He could heal by saying a word. Sometimes he did touch and other times he didn't. He didn't even necessarily have to be present to heal. So why touch? Why touch this man? Not after, but before. Because this man needed more than just physical healing. Jesus is moved with compassion. There's a, there's a depth of emotion within his soul that breaks, as uh, Elder prayed for us, that our hearts would break for the things that break the heart of God. And he reaches out and he touches him. This man, was more, <clears throat> this, this man was more important to Jesus than his sickness. He had been defined by the reality of his sickness. Yet to this man, to Jesus, this man was more important than what identified him in the world. Some of you are identified by realities that linger deep down in your hearts. They identify you. They define you. They shape you. They shape your outbursts. They shape the ways in which you interact. Though you're a believer, they cause many troubles in you. 
and know that Jesus is more interested in your person than the identity that the world has defined you by. And then notice here there's a transference, isn't there? There's a wonderful picture not only of the heart of Jesus, but the glory of the great exchange that happens at the cross. If you were to touch a leper, you were going to get his uncleanliness. And in some ways, isn't that so true for this passage as well? This man receives the cleanliness of Christ. And in turn, where does the leprosy go? It's taken upon the Lord Jesus Christ. His shame, his sorrow, and his sickness is brought to the cross and is born there. Because this man needed more than physical healing, he needed spiritual healing. He was the very son of God entering the reality of his world and transforming it for his glory. He needed emotional healing. Like I said, he'd never been touched even by his mother. And his whole person was transformed by this horrendous disease so that he was seen for not just the physical realities, but so much more. He needed social healing. He needed relational healing. And all these were wrapped up in his sickness. My friend, though forgiven of her sin, needed healing. She needed to be healed in areas that she had been taught to hide for years and years and years. And all of a sudden, grace broke in and she began to understand the goodness and the fullness of the grace of God. But there's a question on all of our minds. What happens when God does not heal? Because we recognize and know that not everybody was healed by Jesus Christ. And so maybe you're here and that's been the prayer of your heart. Lord, heal me physically. Lord, heal me in my depression. Lord, heal me in whatever area that might be. So what about them? Are they lesser? Are you lesser? Maybe because you haven't received healing. Or in the sovereignty of God, has God allowed that to be present in your life? If so, what do you get? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 reads this. This is the Apostle Paul who talked about his thorn in his flesh. He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. We don't know what the thorn in his flesh was, good thing, because then we just box it and put it away and I don't have that, so it's not a big deal for me. We don't know what it was. And so we find ourselves in that passage as well. And we find us with the apostle. I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And the Apostle Paul goes on and he says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, with insults, 
with hardship, with persecution, with calamity. For when I am weak, then am I strong. So what do you get when healing doesn't come? When the providence of God has granted you in your body or in your heart or in your mind those difficulties and challenges that haven't gone away through prayer. Well, what you get is Jesus. You get him in the midst of that reality. His grace becomes sufficient for you. His power is more manifest through weakness. And so that we can boast and be glad in our weakness so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. And in that reality is also a healing, isn't there? That I have Christ and Christ transforms me though maybe not in the physical reality of my life, but he transforms me for all that he's done on the cross. See, the cross is so much greater because on that cross, Jesus bore our sin. He bore our shame. Not only the shame that comes from our sin, but the shame that often is granted and given to us by others who have sinned upon us where we have been victimized. But we don't always have to live the victim's life. Therein lies the choice of coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus died for our sorrows. He was a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, Jesus knew this man from Isaiah 53. He was rejected. He was despised. Men turned their face from him. He knew this man well. And in the reality of the cross, he takes that from him as he does from us. And he bears that burden himself so that you and I might be free. So I ask you to look into your life because the very reality of your testimony and the power of the gospel to change and transform you is going to be the story that you will tell to the nations. In some way, shape, or form, the redemptive work of God in you no matter what your situation or circumstance is, no matter how horrible it is, is often the means that God will use to proclaim his goodness. See, Jesus sent this man off to the temple. And as he sent him off to the temple, he told him to go that they may, uh, uh, and give the offerings that Moses commanded for proof to them, proof to the healing. Well, what's the first question that's going to come to mind? To the priest, who healed you? Who's that going to bear testimony to? Definitely not us. Definitely not this man. But to the Lord Jesus Christ. For the proof of the testimony that Moses commanded were sacrifices as well. 
And this, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, sacrifices himself. And our healing bears testimony to a dying world of a God who came and suffered and died. That we may be forgiven of our sins and healed of our diseases and the realities of the sicknesses that so often plague us. So I would like for you to think about your story. Go back as far as you can. Go back in those places of need. Go back in those areas and words that shaped and changed you. Ask the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't just push him into the darkness. But ask the Lord Jesus Christ to redeem, to buy back at a heavy price, the cross. So that that which was once shameful is now gloriously a proclamation of the power of the gospel. My story begins very early. My story begins in a country far, far away. My story begins in a year that we laughed as a family. It was the year that I didn't smile for pictures. It became a family joke. Yet nobody knew the reason I didn't smile for pictures. It was the year when I was five and six that I was being profoundly sexually abused. And that secret shaped me and haunted me and, and often chiseled me, if you would, for 20 years until my, I shared it with my wife. Well, she was my girlfriend at the time. And I looked and I said, this is shaping my heart. I was a believer. I knew that Christ had died for my sin. I knew that I was going to heaven. And yet the shame was different. See, when you're a kid, you only know one kind of shame. I call it cookie shame, just for the sake of argument. Cookie shame is this. My mom tells me not to eat a cookie before going to uh, before uh, dinner, because he'll ruin my appetite. Right, kids? She walks away, and you grab a cookie, and you eat it, and you arrange them so it looks like you didn't. And she walks in, and she looks, and she says, did you eat a cookie? And then we lie. No, I didn't eat a cookie. Well, there's chocolate chip right here on a corner. See, that's cookie shame. It's a shame that is present and proper because it's guilt that comes from sin. And it's a conviction that comes and doesn't allow us to sleep so that we go back to our mother and we confess our sin and then we go to God and we confess our sin and he cleanses us. That's guilt and shame. But when you've been victimized by somebody, there's a different kind of shame. It's a shame that is given to you by the act of another. But when you're a kid, you all, all you know is cookie shame. And so I walk out of the field and I feel ashamed. Shame because I did something wrong. I must have done something wrong. Until those two mix together and all of a sudden you're just shameful. Shameful. 
your whole person is shameful. And you don't know where to go and you wonder if God is willing. You're thankful that you're saved, but you don't know where to go with that pain and sorrow. And all of a sudden your heart looks like a heart of eggshells put together with Elmer's glue. And you wonder, is he willing? And that night when I was talking to my girlfriend, now my wife, at my grandmother's house, I shared with her for the very first time my sexual abuse. And it was like taking out my eggshell heart and holding it out and wondering, what will she do with it? But there was a larger question behind that question. The question is, is God willing to do anything with it? And she looked at me and she said to me, Adrian, it doesn't matter whether we're going to be a couple or not. From here on, I'm with you to the end on this. And I can tell you that in that moment, God poured a pitcher of grace on that eggshelled heart and brought a healing and transformation that began in that moment in time but continued as a process of sanctification. And God allowed openings to share the good news of the gospel through that as I ministered to college students. And I can tell you, probably as close to as a human can, that without that reality in that field, in that moment of redemption, if I could, if you said, Pastor, here's some pixie dust, you can be done of that, it will, never, it will be like it never ever happened. I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, I would disappear in front of you. Because I am here and I am a pastor not because I passed my exams before presbytery, because I had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ that set my heart free from sin and shame and sorrow and brokenness. And that avenue became the avenue by which God would glorify himself through the healing as he touched me in that place. Where do you need to be touched? What hinders you? Where does the gospel need to trumpet out from your heart and life? You know why? Because out there, five years from now, there will be lepers who will come to your door wondering, what you're going to do, wondering how you're going to show them Jesus, wondering if this Jesus of yours has the power and if he's willing. And in that moment, God will use you and use your story and his redemptive power to bring the hope of the gospel into a dark place. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that as Jesus wept in Gethsemane, 
He wept not because he did not know what was about to happen. He wept because he was all too familiar with what was about to happen. He inspired Isaiah 53. And he was about to live the reality of a prophecy yet to be fulfilled. And in that moment, our sin, our sorrows, our shame, our suffering was taken upon himself. And he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. You took our uncleanliness and gave us your cleanliness. By your stripes we are healed. You transformed. Father, thank you that we get to see the heart of the gospel in your Son. With just one person, just one touch, that showed the power and the willingness. Father, I pray for a transforming encounter with Jesus ourselves. For those who might be here struggling with sin, with guilt and shame that comes from it, or those who might be in a dungeon of despair because of shame that is not from their sin but is yet theirs all the same. Burdens that they have carried for years, scarlet letters that haunt them to this day. Father, I pray for the days are short and that you would bring healing and transformation and make your bride glorious without spot, without blemish, without wrinkle. Prepare her for yourself, but prepare her also for the world that through her you might be seen as the hope of the world. So bless this congregation. Bless their ministry in this community. Bless their ministry one-on-one with people who are hurting. Make them dangerous against the kingdom of darkness. Grant them joy in the Lord as they see people healed and transformed and come to Christ and into the kingdom and the joy of being used as crooked sticks that draw straight lines in the hands of a God who does so. Father, I pray that revival would come in our churches, that you would prepare us and send us forth in the power of the Holy Spirit.
with your word that we may proclaim Christ to those in need. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.